It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. For our corporate prayer and fast from 6 a.m. to 12 p.m. as we pray and thank the Lord. The next voice you hear will be mine. Please come to your seat. 
We, our hearts cry out to all the lives of the refugees who are fleeing the Middle East uh, in, in, play, in search of a place where they can live in peace and harmony. There is something wrong when someone thinks the lives of others is, that, is, is less important than their own lives. And so they sit around and they plot and they scheme and they plan a way that they can take innocent life. And then they come up with justifying statements to say why that they were right in doing it. Well, God never claimed, God never commands us to go out and murder. Yeah, there were crusaders, Charlemagne and those guys who went out on these religious crusades and they began to kill and to force people to serve God. That was not God's plan. That was overzealous hearts trying to do something to please the Lord, and God was not pleased with that. Neither is God pleased with the actions of Al-Qaeda, ISIS, ISIL, they, they are, or whoever they are. Um, nor is he pleased with uh, those who are over in Africa, Al-Shabaab and Boko Haram and all the others. Nor is he pleased, I might add, with the gangs that are on the streets of the United States of America. No one has the right to take the life of another. Just in D.C. alone this year, over 143, maybe 142 or more lives have been taken on the streets of D.C. Why? 300-something in Baltimore. And 300 lives are taken in Baltimore. We won't even count Chicago and New York and all the other areas. These people, we are taking our own lives. We don't need Al-Qaeda to come into America. We have our own gates to kill off ourselves. That doesn't make sense to me. God came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. We can't justify murdering someone because we can't control our temper, because we, we, because we don't want to be told no. Who are we that we are so much better than anyone else that we can be told no? Listen, it does not matter what color the life is. Life has no color. No matter what skin color a person has, life does not have a color. It does not have a color. So if my heart is, so if you hear me, you understand me that life does not have a color. God does not see color because he's not a respecter of person. He sees life. That's what he sees. And life, again, has no color. I, I, I wish that there was some way that we could convey this to people around the world. Life itself has its value and only its value is only in Christ Jesus. Life has its value in Christ Jesus. It does not have its value in your, in your material possessions. It does not have its value in your, in, your, in your public standing. It does not have value. Uh, life does not have its value. Its value does not come from the things that you strive for. Accept Jesus Christ, coming to know him and all that he has done for you and I. That's where your life has true meaning. And once you connect with Christ, and once you discover who you are, your true self in Christ, then you become a benefit to those around you. Then you understand the gift that God has placed in you, and you use that gift to benefit others, not just yourself. So, I know this is my time, and you, you may want me to just move on, so I will, but I can't help it. My heart just hurts because lives are being taken. And, you know, many are walking around late at night, and they just, I don't know their circumstance. I don't know why what happens to them are happening to them, but I know that life is precious, and it has meaning to God. It has value to God. And the lives that are being taken has value to the family members 
may not have value to the person that's taking the life, but it has value to their family. And when we take a life, we're not we're not just harming that individual that whose life is taken. We're also affecting the family members of those individuals. They suffer. They hurt. They're in pain. They will never hold their loved one again. They will never talk to their loved one again. They will never sit across the table with their loved one from their loved ones again eating dinner, like giving thanks to God for uh, the meal that they're having, to be able to talk with family, to be able to laugh and to work through challenges together. They won't have that privilege, that opportunity. Little children won't have their fathers and their mothers there with them anymore. Grandchildren won't have their grandparents anymore because people are breaking into homes and needlessly, deceptively taking the lives of other people. Why? It doesn't make sense. That's why, so that's why the Lord has called me and men and women like me to go forth and declare the word of God. The word of God is not a word of hate. It's a word of love. It's a word of grace that God is extending to every one of us in order that we might have the opportunity Ah, Lord have mercy, to escape eternal damnation and rejoice in eternal life with our Father. If you have your Bibles, let's lift those as we prepare to make our declaration of this morning. Repeat after me, if you will. If you have your, your, your smart tablet or your smartphone or your, or your holy Bible, whichever one your Bible is on, please lift that as we prepare to make our declaration. And repeat after me, if you will. If I receive this word... With my mind only, this word will be dead for me. But if I receive this word with the spirit of my mind, this word will be life for me. Lord, I don't need religious form and fashion. I need life. Now look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Let's get some life in here on today. Turn in your Bible, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. We are continuing this series on the book of Hebrews, uh, building on truth, the word of God, and specifically the, the superiority of Jesus Christ, not only over the prophets and the angels, but today we're going to see that Jesus Christ is superior over others as well. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. We're just going to be reading just the first six verses, and we will deal with the verses 7 through 19 on next Sunday, uh, part 2. We'll conclude this section, part, part 2, on next Sunday. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. But this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. For the testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But grasp as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. There are times when we find ourselves trying to encourage those who are experiencing difficult challenges in their life, which at the time seem so insurmountable that they cannot see their way through them. Oftentimes, what they are going through are pressures they put on themselves needlessly. At other times, the pressures are from others. For you, the pressures can range from fitting in with others their age by joining games, skipping school, smoking, drinking, drugs, and even engaging in the big S, 
Interesting enough, the same is largely true of college students and adults as well, albeit on a somewhat more graduated scale. As we read the book of Hebrews, we see that the author's letter was written to encourage Jewish Christians at a minimum and all Christians as a whole about their faith in Jesus Christ. By carefully reading what the Hebrews author wrote, we began to see just how serious the pressures these Jewish Christians were under. The pressures Christians were under is clear about the manner in which the Hebrews, in which Hebrews is written. The author focuses primarily on justifying why being a Christian is the only true faith with eternal assurance. The Jews of the Old Testament were not able to keep the covenant they made with God at Mount Sinai because in their hearts many of them were truly committed themselves to God. And an uncommitted heart, don't miss this, an uncommitted heart is an erratic and disobedient heart. An uncommitted heart will hurt people. An uncommitted heart to marriage will cause you to go astray and to hurt the person that you're married to. An uncommitted heart in a business will cause you to walk away from the business and cause the business to suffer needlessly because you were uncommitted. An uncommitted heart is an unstable and unpredictable heart. A covenant was a contract where both God and Israel agreed to commit themselves to a set of terms and conditions that they would be held to. Now, can God commit himself to anything? Is there something? Can God really commit himself and can we hold God to it? If God says in his word that he will do something, then you can commit to that because he is committed to his word. God never says something that he will not do. He doesn't give you a timeline on when he will do it, but he will do it. But now there is one exception that I remember, and that is in Genesis chapter 15 when God spoke to Abraham and said, in 400, your, children, your, your offspring will go into Egypt for 400 years, and then after that I will hear them and I will come and I will deliver them out. And so 450 years, 430 years later, uh, uh, after Egypt, uh, after Israel had been an Egyptian bondage for 430 years, God heard their cry and he delivered them through by the use of Moses. So God initiated the covenant by reminding the Jews where they were when he found them. That's just a figure of speech. And the steps he took to deliver them from, from Egyptian bondage. In Exodus 19, Three months after God delivered Israel from Egypt, Israel was at Mount Sinai. And it was there, it was here that God reminded Israel what he did for them. He says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And then he told them who they would be to him if, if, if they would commit themselves wholly to him. He says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, and all for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Their response at that time was, to God was, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. By making them his special treasure and kingdom of priests, God wanted to make Israel into his image and likeness, just as Adam had been before he sinned. Adam's sin changed man's image from what is the likeness and image of God to that of Satan. The image of rejection, the image of disobedience, the image of rebellion, the image of hatred, an image of locusum. Later in the Old Testament, God spoke of a new covenant, Jeremiah 31. This new covenant will be resident in the heart of the first of first those Jews who put their faith in him, and second to all people of the earth who belong to Christ by faith in Christ. 
by the Hebrews of the repeated use of the plural pronoun we, in verse 1 of the second chapter, he lets the readers know that what he is saying to them and us apply to himself as well. So often, people will stand up and give you advice. Which they don't even know, they haven't even dealt with what you've dealt with. They haven't gone through what you've gone through. They have no, no experiential experience whatsoever with what you are going through. And I'm speaking generally here now. But more specifically, by this Hebrew author concluding himself, what he implies is that as a Christian, he also has to, has to deal with a whole lot of mess because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So like them, he had to hold on to his faith in spite of the pressures to return to Judaism. How else can he write with such conviction and with such compassion and with such encouragement and with such authority? By skillfully comparing and contrasting the superiority of Christ over the Old Testament prophets God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world and the angels. Let all the angels of God worship him, Christ. He was telling them, the Hebrew writer was telling them that they have to hold on, that they have made a better choice, and to stay with that choice, the better choice, the better choice is Jesus Christ, because he is the new way. He is the way that Jeremiah was referring to in the new covenant of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 and 32. He was speaking of Jesus Christ as the better way. We've looked at the superiority of Jesus Christ over the prophets and the angels. So today I want to minister uh, on the superiority of Jesus Christ over Moses. Jesus Christ, you know, is superior to Moses. Point blank. How is Christ superior to Moses? Well, Jesus Christ is superior to Moses in three respects. In his person, in his ministry, and in in the record that he gives. Don't miss it. In his person, in his ministry, and in the rest that he gives. Let's take a look at this. Jesus Christ is superior to Moses in his person. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ the Jesus, who was faithful in, to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. He Let's just take this word. Let's take, I want to just exegete this if I can. We talk about holy brethren. The use of the word holy brethren, the word, the phrase, the statement, the phrase holy brethren. It also refers to those, that refers to those to whom he is writing as holy brethren. Immediately we see that he is addressing the people in the family of God. He's not talking to anybody else. Uh, those who have the common bond of union because of Jesus Christ. That's why they are holy brethren. Listen, holiness, when, when God calls us holy, that holiness that, he's, that we have, when we are called holy, is not because of anything that we have done. It is all because of what Christ Jesus did on the cross. But even before he got to the cross, before Christ got to the cross, he walked and lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He was completely perfect. He fulfilled all the requirements of the, of the law that men could not fulfill because of their unregenerate heart. So our holiness is accounted to us by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We can never earn holiness any more than we can earn eternal life. So your holiness is really Jesus' holiness. And the only reason you have the holiness of Jesus is because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. You confessed your sins. You repented of all the wrong that you've done. Your whole life has turned around now, and you've committed yourself to walking and living according to
will of God. And that's what the, the Hebrew writer was trying to convey to the men and that were, that were beginning to walk away from, from the commitment that they made to Christ. You cannot give your life to Christ, truly give your life to Christ, and then turn and walk away when things get bad. You cannot marry a woman if you're a man, a married man if you're a woman, and then when things get hard, the first thing you want to do is walk away. You want a divorce. How can you grow? How can you mature? How can you overcome when you're unwilling to work? Marriage is not an easy proposition. It is not an easy union. But it is a blessed and rewarding union when you learn to work together to overcome the challenges that are in your path. Those set apart by the grace of God, those are the ones that are holy. And that's what the definition of holy is, to be set apart from the world's sins and all the things that happen. Not that you're no longer in the world and that you can't, you can't fellowship with people in the world, but that you are no longer of the world, meaning you are holy, you are holy meaning you don't engage in things that, that are not beneficial to the kingdom of God. You don't do anything illegal. You don't do anything illicit. You don't do anything that would cause the kingdom of God to look bad. Uh, so they are those, the holy people are those who are set apart by the grace of God. He was referring to the people in the church, the body of Jesus Christ. We cannot, as Christians, we cannot be found partying in the club, smoking and drinking and taking drugs and popping pills and, you know, and going visiting houses of ill repute and doing it and, and, and surfing the Internet and going into pornography sites. We cannot do that stuff because we are held to a high standard. We live in a higher standard of living. We don't do that stuff. That ain't been what we did when we were when we were in the world doing the things of the world and of the world, but we're no longer of the world, we're of the kingdom of God. So we must not be like the rest of the world. We know this that we are the body of Christ because he uses the phrase partakers of the heavenly calling. If a Jew had given his or her life to Jesus Christ, or if a Gentile had given his life or her life to Jesus Christ, then this letter was not addressed to them. It is addressed to those who profess Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. Only those who have genuinely accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord and were and are seen partakers of the heavenly calling. God has called you to be saved. He has called you to be holy. And you heard the call because you heard the word of God and you asked Jesus to come into your life. That's when you became Holy immediately, not yesterday, not five minutes after, but the moment that you asked Jesus into your heart, you became saved and a part of the kingdom of God. And it does not matter when you come in, you are the same as everyone else who are Christians, whether they whether they've been Christians for years or whether they've been Christians for five minutes, you are just as valuable to God as every Christian is. You are partakers of the heavenly calling. Now the word partakers in the Greek word is metokos. Metokos. And it means sharing in, participating in, partner or companion. This is best illustrated by Luke chapter 5 verse 7 where God, where Jesus says, lunch out and let down the net that Peter says, look, I've already fished all night and we didn't catch it and they never left at your word, I will let down the instead of letting down more than one. He only let down one. And so Jesus does so. And so when he let down the net and began to catch, and then the net filled up with fish, Peter, so they, Peter, the scripture says, so Peter, so they signaled to their partners. And so partakers of metacos, a metacos 
being the partner, and so they call to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. So a true partaker or member of the family of God in Christ must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, Romans 8 and 9. So as, a, as holy brothers, brothers and sisters, and partakers of the heavenly calling, they were and we are able to give a confession of our faith in Jesus Christ. The word simply means to say the same thing. That's what we mean by confession, to say the same thing. All true Christians say the same thing when it comes to their experience of salvation. I was a sinner. I didn't think I could live a decent life. I didn't think there was hope for me. But then when I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and I accepted Jesus Christ, I I responded to the call of Christ to come unto him and to give my life to him. I I experienced something I never thought I experienced. I no longer have a taste for drugs. I no longer have a taste for pornography sites. I no longer have a, a taste for the house, visiting houses of pure refuge. I no longer have a desire to hate somebody. I no longer have a desire to kill somebody. I no longer have a desire to steal. I no longer have a desire to be incorrigible. I have a desire now to serve Jesus. Why? Because he saved me. Next, he uses the phrase, he, he says, apostle, and he refers to Christ. He says, he uses the word apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, the author tells us first to consider. And this word, consider, uh, he is saying that we are to seriously think about or to fix our eyes on Jesus. If believers don't continually remind themselves of what Jesus Christ did, how he delivered us from our past life, and gave us a new life full of hope and with a glorious future, we will be in danger of drifting away from Christianity due to forgetfulness. We must always have him first and foremost in our mind. We must always be mindful of the fact that where Jesus brought us from, we must have Christ constantly in our spiritual vision. Next Jesus referred to as the apostle and high priest of our confession, our confession rather. Nowhere else in all the Bible is Jesus referred to as apostle. This is to remind the Christians that Jesus is the one sent by God. John chapter 20, verse 21. Turn there in your Bible real quick, if you will. John chapter 20, verse 21. Just want to read this for you real quickly here. John chapter 20, verse 21. Hallelujah. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father hath sent me, I also send you. Jesus was sent by God as his final word unto humanity. Jesus was sent by God as his final word to humanity. Remember, Jesus, as the Bible says, Hebrews 1 and 2, has that Jesus has in these last days, or God has in these last days, spoken uh, to us by his Son. In other words, Jesus Christ was sent by God as the supreme revealer of the Father, of himself. You can find that in John chapter 3, verse 17 and 34, John chapter 5, verse 36 and 38, John chapter 29, chapter 6, verse 29 and 57, and John chapter 7, verse 29, 8, verse, chapter 8, verse 42, 10, verse 36, 11, verse 42, 17, verse 3, and 13, verse 3. There are more than these, but I just wanted to give you uh, just a little bit. And uh, Jesus Christ was sent by God as the supreme revealer of the Father. Not only did the Hebrews writer refer to Jesus as apostle, but he also referred to Jesus as high priest when he considered that Moses was a prophet who was on occasion served, who on occasion served as a priest, Psalm 99 and 6, and Moses and Aaron were among his priests. So we see that Moses at times served as a priest, but he was never a high priest. That title belonged to Aaron and his brother. His brother. In fact, Jesus Christ has the title of great high priest. Hebrews 4.14, 2 
seeing is that we have a great high priest who has who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession or our profession. We must hold fast to our faith in Christ. As the apostle, Jesus represented God to men. And as the high priest, he now represents men to God in heaven. Jesus is our advocate and our high priest. He stands in the presence of God. When we sin, Jesus stands before God and says, Father, forgive them, for I died for that opportunity. And he extends grace to us until that time where we either receive him as our Savior and Lord, or at some point we succumb to the consequences of the life that we live. But not because Jesus didn't try to, to call you, didn't, didn't want to save you, it's that you have a choice, that you chose to ignore him. So, I love this. Moses naturally fulfilled similar ministry, for he taught Israel God's truth, and he prayed for Israel when he met God on the mountain, Exodus 32. Verses 30 and 32, read that when you get some time. Moses was primarily the prophet of the law, while Jesus Christ is the messenger of God's grace. Here's what John says, 117. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses helped to prepare the way for the coming of the Savior of the earth. While both Moses and Jesus were faithful in the work God gave them to do, only Moses was a sinner. Jesus Christ was perfect in that he never sinned, but obeyed the Father in all faith, showing that like Moses, Jesus was faithful, was faithful in service. Excuse me. Showing like Moses, Jesus was faithful, and he showed Jesus Christ faithful to Moses as, as equal in that case. Let me put it this way. The people had a high opinion of Moses. He was the lawgiver. Although he did not give the law, he received the law from God, and God used him to convey the law to the children of Israel. He was faithful to God in all that God called him to. And so and then so the, the Hebrew writer reminds the Jewish Christians about the faithfulness of Moses, and then he tells about the faithfulness of Christ. And by showing the faithfulness of Christ, he gave them someone to hold on to. He gave them an opportunity to hold on to Jesus. Because, see, there are times when you get so tired, you get so frustrated, so disconcerted, and so disenfranchised, and so disappointed that you want to just turn your back on the commitment that you made. And, and everything that this Hebrew writer is saying is to draw their attention back to Christ to show that Christ was crucified. He was lied on. He was mistreated. He was whipped. He was all manner of things were happening to him, but he remained faithful to God. And so by Moses hanging, the only thing remaining faithful to God to the end and showing that Jesus Christ likewise was faithful to God to the end, that gave them encouragement to deal with the problems they are dealing with. When you go through your problems, when you are struggling with your issues, remember that Jesus Christ went through the same thing. Remember Moses went through the same thing. Remember others went through the same kind of issues that you are dealing with, and they remain faithful to Christ. And it was in the faithfulness to Christ that they were able to overcome eventually the challenges that had been holding them down. If they had given up on Christ, then they would not have overcome. So we must understand that showing Moses and Jesus were as faithful, that should encourage the Jewish Christians to remain faithful to Christ, even in the midst of the tough trials they were experiencing. Instead of going back to Moses or the law, they should imitate Moses and be faithful to their calling to, as believers in Christ. And so must we. When God called us and saved us, he didn't say that we would not have trials and struggles and challenges in this life. On the contrary, he said you will have trials and you will have tribulations. But be encouraged, for I have overcome the world. 
Finally, he uses the word confession, the Greek word homologia, homologia, and it means confession, acknowledgement that one makes or an open avowal of some belief or opinion. It is an acknowledgement. Here we are reminded that we must speak the word to ourselves and to each other at all times, and all the more when we when we're faced with difficult challenges. Remember, iron sharpens iron. When you are when you touch faces with another Christian, find someone that you can confide in that won't tell your business, and, and someone that is a faithful Christian, begin to talk to them, and they can encourage you, and you can encourage them. That's what this walk is all about. We walk by faith. We encourage one another in our walk. So the Word of God strengthens us. It encourages us, and it reassures us of the faithfulness of God toward his children. Next, we come to our second, and I'm going to end it the second uh, uh, aspect of Jesus' superiority over Moses, and that is Jesus Christ is superior to Moses in his ministry, verses 3 through 6. For this one has been counted as worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he has built a house that has more honor, that he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. Don't miss that. He was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, but Christ, but Christ, as a son over his own house, son, own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Let's take a look at this word house. He uses the word house. The Hebrew writer uses the word house six times uh, in, 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 this, in this section here. Oftentimes we think of house as a physical structure. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's referring to the people of God. He's referring to the children of Israel that uh, that that have given their life to Christ. He's referring to the Christians. He's referring to you and I, who are Christians. We are the house. Moses ministered to Israel. In other words, the people of God under the old covenant. But today, Jesus ministers to His church, the people of God under the new covenant, whose house. We are, verse 6 in this third chapter. So several observations regarding Jesus' superiority. First, but Christ uh, marks a shift, if you will. There's a shift from the name of Jesus to the official name Christ, which marks his position over the house. Second, if Jesus is worthy and more glory than Moses in that he built the house, John 1, 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist or are held together. Hebrews 1, 2 and 10. Have in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And you, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hand. And God, Jesus, is the builder of God's house, Israel and the church. Hope you can understand that. Hope you can grasp that. Third, Jesus is worthy of more glory because Moses was just a faithful servant in the house. Numbers 12, 7. Not so my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. This is God speaking to Aaron, Aaron and Miriam as they were black bad mouth and Moses. So God stands up for his people. God will watch over his men and his woman of God that he has called that did serve. Jesus Christ is worthy of more glory because Moses was just a faithful servant in the house. But Jesus is a son over the house. Moses was a member of the household of Israel, but Jesus built the house. 
By the way, the truth is, in these verses, the powerful argument for the deity of Jesus Christ. If God built all things and Jesus Christ built God's house, then Jesus Christ must be and is God. Here's the fourth thing I wanted to point out here, and then I'm going to conclude. As a prophet, Moses spoke about things to come, but as creator, Jesus brought the fulfillment of these things. That's verse 6. Moses ministered in the shadow, in the shadow, if you will. Hebrews 8 and 5 who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, and Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. And verse in chapter 10, verse 1, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices that all which they, which they offer continually year after year make those who approach perfect listen. Moses served, served a shadow. Jesus Christ is the original. Jesus Christ brought the full and the final light of the gospel of the grace of God to humanity. There's a big difference there. Moses was not God. Moses was just a servant, but he was a faithful servant. And we speak of him day in and day out in Scripture because his name is etched indelibly in the annals of biblical time and history. Believers, like everyone else, will encounter pressures from others to believe, to, to behave contrary to who we are. But we are reminded, we must remind ourselves who we are and whose we are. We must be mindful of that always. We are to hold fast. That is, we are to stand firm upon our faith in Jesus Christ. Many Christians may be considering teetering uh, in their faith daily. When believers find themselves getting weak, you must remind yourself where God in Christ brought you from. What is your what is your Egypt moment? What where, what part of Egypt did God bring you from? Was it was it the Egypt of drugs? Was it the Egypt of alcohol? Was it the Egypt of gambling? What was it? Was it the Egypt of gluttony? What was your Egypt that God delivered you from? Because that Egypt was what held you bondage. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you want to go back to the way you used to be? Or would you prefer sitting in out of Christ, holding on and praying and trusting him to give you eternal life, to bring you through the challenges that you're struggling with? I prefer to stay true to Christ. I prefer to just bow down on my knees, lay down and just grab the hem of his garment and just hold on. Every step he takes, I want him to drag me along because my life is nothing without him. I'd rather be dead than not have Christ because I'm dead already in trespasses and sins if I don't have him. So I'd rather have life in Christ than to walk in this life dead and without any hope whatsoever. I don't have to worry about where I'm going to end up at. I don't have to vacillate, vacillate about this thing or that thing. I don't have to speculate or speculate or, or any of those things. All I have to do is remain confident and sure of who Christ is and what he is able to do. Did he rescue you from destructiveness of the destructiveness of drugs? And alcohol. Remember what he saved you from. One of the things that I think about sometimes when I'm when I'm struggling with challenges is what I used to be like, where God has brought me from. He brought me from the ghetto. He brought me from the ghetto. He brought me from nothing. And now I'm standing here preaching his word. I never intended to. But this is the call he has on my life. 
Where did God bring you from? I, he brought me from poverty. He brought me from ignorance. He brought me from the from a lack of assurance in myself. He he brought me from nothing, and he made me something. I'm not bragging about myself. I'm telling you what Christ did because if he hadn't done it, I would not be here today. And if it wasn't for the grace of God in sending his son into the world, that whoever believed in him may not perish but have eternal life, I would not be here. I can't speak about you, but I was dead. I was walking around a dead zombie. I was a zombie walking around, putting on clothes every morning, looking in the mirror, watching myself and going out and partying and having a good time. I didn't realize I was just a, 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 a zombie without any kind of spiritual life or relationship whatsoever with God. My relationship was with Satan, and my, and my commitment was to whatever he wanted me to do. But I'm not that person anymore. When I heard the gospel, that's when I gave my life to Christ. When I graduated from high school, I worked one month. I bought a one-way plane ticket. I had $50 in my pocket, and I went to Chicago. And then when I stayed with my grandmother, and every night I began, I don't know why, I began, I picked up the Bible because she was a Christian. I made it out the influence that God had on me, and that's where God wanted me to be. And so I began to read the Bible, and I began to read the book of Proverbs, and I could not, not, the only book I was interested in for the most part was the book of Proverbs because it was a book of wisdom. It was a book of knowledge. It was a book of understanding. It was a book of instruction and guidance. And that word ministered to me. And, and then somebody, and then I went to church, and then somebody asked me years later, why are you a Christian? Why do I believe? And I said, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. He suffered in my place. He did not have to do it, but he did it. And he did it for everyone who would receive him. I'm not naive, and God is naive. He knows. See, God has made a way for everyone to have eternal life. He's given access to everyone, but not everyone will take will take advantage of it. They will come up with excuses why they can't do it. Well, when I get some new clothes, then I can come to church, and, and then maybe I can give my life to Jesus. Well, you know, old people that I've talked to over the years, laying on their deathbed, are laying in the hospital, and they're, and they're saying they're not 60 and, 60 and 70 years old. Say, when I get some clothes, and the right kind of clothes, and I come to church, God is not interested in what you have on your body. God doesn't care about your clothes. Well, when I get some money so I can give some money. Listen, God doesn't care about your money. Well, when I, when I, when I get some shoes and I can God doesn't care about your shoes. Well, I mean, God doesn't care about any of those things. God cares about your soul. He cares about you. That's why he's not a respecter of person. Because he doesn't see color. He's colorblind. He cares about you. One day, thank you. One day you will walk in here to this ministry. And you will see people of every race and nationality from all over the world sitting in this ministry. And they will grow. And they will take this word back to the home that they left. One day you will see that here. Remember this day. Remember this day. Mark this day. People of every walk of life, every nation of people will be in this ministry. And they will serve in this ministry. And they will reach more people for Christ. And they won't care about your color. They won't care about your ethnic background. They won't care whether you're Sunni. They won't, they won't care whether you're Hootsie or Tootsie. They won't care whether you're South African or they won't care about any of those things. They will care about your soul. That's what Jesus Christ came to save your soul. 
Now, just as Jesus saves others, he can also save you. But whoever you are, whoever you are, come to the altar. Come, give your life to Christ. If you're on the call and you don't know Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sin, if you're tired of living the way you're living, if you're tired of going through the things that you're going through without any hope, I'm here to tell you, he will give you that hope. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promised to always be with you. He doesn't say that we won't have trials. He doesn't say that we won't have struggles. He doesn't say that we won't have challenges because when he was in this earth, he had those same trials. He had those same challenges. He was crucified, murdered, if you will, for no reason whatsoever other than the fact that he refused to bow down to the establishment of the Jewish church. He wrinkled some, ruffled some feathers and wrinkled some clothes, and they did not like it, and so they plotted and they planned and they killed him. But little did they know that it was prophesied that he had to die for the life of every human being that would ever come into this world. And oh, he's the only one that could do it. There are no other faiths out here in existence that can do it. And no other faith in this world can claim that Jesus will claim what Christianity claims. And that is Jesus Christ died on the cross, and on the third day he rose, was, rose again, alive, with all power in his hand. He was seen by more than he was seen by first Peter and then the twelve and then more than five hundred at one time. And then finally he was seen by the Apostle Paul. And then he rose and he stayed with them on earth forty days after rising up from raised, being raised from the dead. And then he elevated and then he ascended into heaven. And he is going to come back down one day. And he's going to take authority. First he came as a lamb. This time he comes, he's coming as a roaring lion. But he's going to be more than a roaring lion. He's going to be the lion of Judah. He's going to be the one with the, the, the ruling scepter. His scepter will never end. His kingdom will never end. His scepter is the scepter of eternal rule. Whoever you are, doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you are right now. Just come to him. Give your life to Christ. He'll save you. And you'll never have to wonder what's going to happen to you when you leave this earth physically. Secondly, if you're looking for a church home and the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you with all parts of Jesus Christ's ministry, Lord, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to work. This is the place I want to call home, my way to my heavenly home. Then we welcome you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what, what you look like. I don't care about that. I care about your soul. That's what God cares about. He wants the best for you. If you're backslider, you have that relationship with Christ, and somehow you walked away, you walked away, you lost your fellowship with him, he's ready for you. He says, come back. I'm married to you. I, I want you back. I love you. If you need prayer, God answers prayers. Please, Come to the office, wherever you are. And if you're away from your church home here in school, join us our watch here program so we can pray for you and teach you the word of God. And when you finish your studies here, you can return home to your home church if that's where the Lord leads you and begin to assist your pastor in fulfilling the mission that God has called in order to. In any of these areas, we welcome you. In any of these areas. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you hear our prayers and that you've granted our requests. We thank you, God, Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.